on New Hope Radio, New Hope Radio podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Let me ask you, how often have you thought that God saves the best for last? Ever think about that? We're going to see today that what you thought was good was not nearly as good. Oh, once the master put his hand to it. And you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about your life. You can think your life is good. A lot of people do. But once Jesus gets involved, oh, it's so much better. Today we're going to see the miracle of turning water into wine and how it holds a significant meaning to each and every one of us that are listening today. Why did Jesus do it? What was the meaning behind it? And welcome our Facebook fans, Janine, Marie, we're all getting on board. Thank you, everybody. And also our radio fans, thank you, folks, for tuning in today. And all of our podcast fans that will be listening later. Why did Jesus turn water into wine? And what did he want us to learn from it? Well, we're going to see that today. But first, let's go back uh, about 2,000 years. We're going to visit an ancient oriental wedding. Have you ever been to an ancient oriental wedding? You're going to go today. Now, back in those days, weddings were held at night. And you know what? <laughs> they lasted for days. How cool is that? When you go to a wedding, yeah, how long is it going to last? Ah, about five days. Count me in. <laughs> you know why? A wedding was a happy time. And the bride and groom, oh, they were treated like royalty. And rather than take a honeymoon... They resided at their home for a week, and guests would come and go. And they'd be feasting and and wishing them well. Wine was an essential part of a Jewish feast. The rabbis used to say, without wine there is no joy. Now, in those days, people would not drink to be drunk. Matter of fact, drunkenness was a disgrace to them. When they drank wine, it was mixed with water. It would also be an embarrassment to the hope, to the host, if if the wine ran out. That wasn't a good thing. They'd be like going to a wedding and they ran out of food. What? No more food? They ran out of wine. So, at this particular wedding, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. She was invited to the wedding. Now, Jesus also was invited, as well as his 12 disciples. So they were probably related. <clears throat> Somehow, some way, this is probably some kind of a family affair, distant relative affair, so to speak. So we're going to pick it up in John chapter 2, verse 1.
On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Now, in this little exchange, it seems like Mary knows something about Jesus, and Jesus knows something about Jesus. (laughs) Wouldn't you agree? They both know something about him, that he's no ordinary guy. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. So, <laughs> Mary, I like Mary. She's kind of like stepping up, taking charge. It's always good to have people around that when something's not going right, somebody steps up to set things right. That's so important. Everybody needs people like that. And Mary was like that at this wedding. Now, by sight, this appears to be an odd scene, the way Jesus talks to his mother. But remember, he wasn't speaking English to her. Probably speaking Aramaic or Jewish. Something gets lost in the translation. Now, they did run out of wine. But in verse 3, it appears that Mary may have somehow been involved in the feast itself. Like I said, maybe she was a relative. She was one of those ladies, maybe she was like an aunt, where, yeah, you know the aunties, right? We love our aunties because they're always around to help. You know, they're the ones that, they're just there, they're available. She was available. Whatever the reason was, she went to Jesus. Because she knew something about him. Little is known of how a wedding was performed in the Holy Land. We don't know how they actually went through the ritual in the first century. But clearly, the feast was very important. And it could, like I said, could go on for five, six, seven days. And to fail in proper hospitality, oh, that was a serious offense. That's a sin you don't want to commit. The failure in hospitality. Now, here's where it gets a little tricky. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Now, woman. See, in English, woman means woman. And something does get lost in the translation. Jesus used this exact same word when he gave his mom to the disciple John to take care of. When he was on the cross. Remember? When Jesus saw his mother standing below him at the cross, and he saw the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that was John. He said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. He called her woman at that scene as well. But again, he wasn't speaking English. Our closest word to that might be lady or ma'am. It's a term of endearment, okay? It's an endearing term. It's not technical. Jesus wasn't saying, woman, (laughs) go get me a cup of coffee. (laughs) Woman, what's that got to do? No, it was nothing like that. 
It was ma'am. That's what it was. Very endearing. Now, even though Jesus didn't give Mary the verbal answer she wanted, she knew Jesus would do something. You know why? She knows her son. Oh, yeah, she knows her son. I think every mom knows their son. They know what likes, what they like. They know what makes them tick. They know they can count on them when they need them. I hope every son is like that. So his mother turned and she said to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, just go do it. I don't know what he's going to say, but he's going to say something. Just do what he says and everything's going to work out okay. Isn't that true for our lives too? Whatever Jesus says, just do it. Just do it. Shut up and do it. And it's going to turn out okay. So in verse 6, there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification. Which means that the pots were there so they could wash up, <laughs> basically. And these contained 20 or 30 gallons each. So let's say it was 20. 20 gallons in each pot times six, 120 gallons. They could hold 120 gallons of water. If they were 30 gallons, it'd be 180. Wow. Now, these water pots for the purpose, they were for the purpose of foot washing and hand washing. You know, when someone came into someone's home, the servants would come and they would pour water on their hands and pour water on their feet, refresh them, get the dust off the off the dirt roads off them and refresh them. So I imagine, apparently these pots were empty. So Jesus said, fill up the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And then he said to them, now draw some out. Take it to the head waiter, the guy in charge of the feast. So they took some to him. They probably took out like a nice little bucket of the water. And they brought it to the head waiter. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, what? The water had become wine. He didn't know where it came from. <laughs> but the servants who drew the water, they knew. They knew what happened. The head waiter called the bridegroom. Bridegroom was the one that probably paid for the whole dinner, right? And said to him, Oh, Mr. Bridegroom, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people are drunk freely, in other words, when they had enough and they don't know any better, <laughs> then he serves the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. Wow. You saved the best for last. Man, that's the point today. God saves the best for last. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. See, Jesus has a reason for everything he does. He doesn't do things haphazardly or for no reason. Jesus, what are you doing? I don't know. Why are you doing that? I don't know. You got to do it again. I don't know. No, he knows exactly what he's doing. I wish I did. I wish I knew what I was, exactly what I was doing all the time <laughs> and why I do what I do. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know why I did that. It's just dumb, you know. So that's the account of the scene at the wedding. 
Okay? Now, what's the significance? Here's our part. What's the significance of all that just took place? They ran out of wine. Jesus got 120 gallons of water. They had another 120 gallons of wine. Maybe 130, depending upon how big the pots were. I mean, 180. That's a lot of wine. So here's the significance. Number one, this took place at a wedding. It's a perfect picture. Remember, this is Jesus' first miracle, first recorded miracle anyway, that we know of. It's a perfect picture to help us to see the character of God. Because Jesus is not a killjoy. There are some religious people. They spread gloom wherever they go. You know why? To them, religion is solemn. It's void of joy. You laughing? You shouldn't be laughing. The world is not in a funny state. You having fun? You shouldn't be having fun. You should be working. You should be serving. Well, it's interesting that Jesus did his first miracle at a wedding. A wedding is a fun time. It's a fun place. It's a place of feasting and fellowship and celebration. I think God wants us to know that. Number two, what about these stone water pots? Well, there were six of them. You know, seven is the number of perfection. It's the number of God, right? God worked for six days on the seventh day, took a break. He rested. He admired his creation. Six is the number of man. Oh, man, he's imperfect in all his ways. In one sense, the six stone water pots stand for all the incompleteness of the Jewish law. In other words, it wasn't enough to bring us to God, just like today. There's nothing that we can do to bring us to God. Our works, our behaviors, our religious ceremonies, they're not enough to bring us to God. They're not. In our last message, we saw that only God can bring people to God. That's why Jesus became a man, to bring us to God. As God and a man, he brought us to God. But we can't bring ourselves to God. Only God can do that. So the water turned to wine is a picture, oh, I like this, of the grace of God. It's God's grace. He did something incredible that he didn't have to do. And the waiter said, wow, every man. I've been to a lot of weddings, right? And they all serve the good wine first. You know, make an impression on people. Oh, this is good wine. And then when the people drunk freely and their taste buds are kind of like shot, then he serves the cheap stuff. But you've kept the good wine until now. And the significance We have all lived our lives thinking that we, on certain occasions, have experienced the greatest joy that this world has to offer. Did you ever do that? I know I have. Oh, I've had times in my life and I'm like, oh, this is the best. Doesn't get any better than this. I hope this never stops. This is awesome. 
Hope it never changes. And then I found Christ. And I realized the best is yet to come. See, these are the fortunate ones. They come to a place where they discover that, like those stone water pots, their life is empty, dry, not serving a purpose. Those pots, they were just sitting around. They weren't even living in their purpose. They were just empty water pots. They weren't even filled where people could wash up. They were empty and dry. And, and, and the fortunate ones get to that place in life and they realize, I'm empty and I'm dry. Is this the way it's always going to be? And then you discover the grace of God. Oh, the grace of God. And you hear that God wants to fill your emptiness with the wine of his joy. God's been waiting for you. He's been waiting for you to acknowledge your emptiness so he can fill you, just like those pots. Just like the pots. They were empty, and Jesus filled them and turned it into joy. What's another reason Jesus did this, why he worked this miracle? Because, well, it tells us in verse 11, this beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and he manifested his glory, here it comes, and his disciples believed in him. There it is. There's the kicker. His disciples believed in him. Jesus needed faithful followers. Sure, he wanted the people to have a happy wedding celebration. Sure, he didn't want the bridegroom to be embarrassed. Sure, he wanted to honor his mother's request. But I think the most important thing, that his disciples would believe in him. Because they're starting a journey. Oh, yeah. They are starting a brand new journey. And this is going to be a journey of faith. You know that? They're going to need a lot of faith. And this is where it all started. These guys, you know, you know the story. They left their fishing nets, their boats, their businesses. They left their tax offices. They gave up their careers to follow Jesus. They had to believe in him in order to follow him and stay with him. So the lesson learned here is this. We never know how insufficient our lives are until we're filled with the life of Christ. And you know, the only ones that can acknowledge that are those that have been filled with the life of Christ. Those of you that are listening and Christ is in you, you could shake your head and say, Amen, that's true. I, I, he saved the good wine till the end. This is good wine now. And yet there are those, they're still drinking the cheap stuff and they think it's good. And they'll never know. They'll never see the difference, ever, until they first get Christ. Because they have nothing to compare their life to. Nothing. But when they get Christ, oh, now they can make a comparison. Like the head waiter, he made a comparison. He said, oh, I'm comparing this new wine 
with the one we had before. Oh, what a difference. Big difference? I thought the wine we had before was pretty good. But this, oh, this is so much better. And that's how many people see their lives. They think before Christ, the life they're living, oh, this is pretty good. I like it. A good job, nice house, dog, fence, spouse. Everything's good, healthy. Everything's good. Can't complain. I like it. This is great. And then they find Jesus and they realize, oh, man, this is so much better. It's so much better. See, Christ does something for us that nothing else can. Christ does something in our lives that nothing in the world can do for us. Not a person, not an event, not a possession, nothing. I don't know what it is, how to explain it, but when Christ comes inside, you know what comes inside? Life. We become alive. Janine said, Amen to a life changed by Christ and the grace of God. And Doreen said, Amen. Nothing compares to Jesus. It's true. It's so true. And that doesn't mean we're on cloud nine all the time. You know, you can have Christ in your life. And hey, we have our down days too. We all do. But when we look back, there's no comparison. There's no comparison. My best day in the world. It doesn't equal my worst day in Christ. Because I'm in Christ. That's the difference. In Christ is eternal. Oh, it's forever. It's something that has me and will let me go. It's Jesus bringing me into eternity future with him. That's the difference. So people can drink the cheap wine all their lives and never know what they're missing. You got friends like that? I got friends like that. You got neighbors like that? I got neighbors like that. There's all kinds of people like that, drinking the cheap wine. They don't know what they're missing. They think the cheap is good because they never had the good. When the old wine runs out, they come to Christ. Oh, then he fills them with something new, with something better. He takes those empty, stony hearts, like those water pots, That's what we are before Christ. Empty, stony pots. And he fills us with the water of his word. And you know what the water of his word does? Turns into joy. It turns into the wine of joy. That's what it turns into. Throughout the Old Testament, wine is a symbol for joy. It makes the heart joyful. It makes the heart merry. That's what Christ does for us. This is a podcast you want people to listen to. You want people that don't know Christ to maybe just look at their own lives and say, as good as you think it might be, as good as you think it might be, and it might be good. Oh, it's not as good as it could be. As good as that wine you're drinking is, you think is good. It's not as good as it could be. Let God provide and watch what God will provide for you. Catherine's checking in. She said, Amen. Thank you, Catherine. You know, the Amen's are good because it's like, okay, P 
people are agreeing. These, this is the testimony. These are the witnesses that what I'm saying is true because they've experienced it also. Many of us, all of us have experienced the joy of God. God, and like I said, isn't it interesting, the first miracle was a wedding to show us, you know, God wants us in a relationship with him that's celebratorial. It's celebratorial. It's not solemn. Jesus' first wedding wasn't, I mean, first miracle wasn't at a funeral. He did miracles at a funeral. But his first one was at a wedding. Catherine said, exactly. That's right. It's a wedding. Isn't that nice? Now, if his first miracle was at a funeral, I would think, uh-oh, what's God telling us? That when he invites us into a relationship with him, it's like a funeral? It's not. It's not, thank the Lord. The first miracle tells us when he invites us into a relationship with him, it's a celebration. Oh, Jesus told parables about weddings. He told parables about lost things, and when they were found, there was a great celebration, a celebration over the lost coin that was found, the lost sheep that was found, the lost son that was found. Every time something was lost and it was found, there was a celebration. And Jesus said, even the angels in heaven rejoice. Well, guess what's lost? Humanity. Humankind. And when we get found by Christ, oh, there's a celebration. There's a celebration in your heart, and there's a celebration in heaven. Robin's checking in. Hi, Robin. See, when you think of God, I want you to think of celebration. Okay? Don't think of solemnity. Everything has to be solemn. Think of celebration. Happiness. Like this music. The joy of the Lord is my strength, right? That's our strength. God's joy. Thank you for coming along today. Don't forget to visit the Hope Club podcast. You can find it anywhere on our website, newhopecc.tv, and anywhere podcasts are heard. Thanks for coming along today. Tomorrow, next time, why must I be born again? We'll see what that's all about. Hope you can join me then.